Have you ever wondered, can you communicate directly with spirit guides, teachers, or non-physical consciousness, or even our higher selves? What would they tell us? My name is Kevin Moore, and since 2015, I started to practice a form of communication which is termed channeling. I have been interviewing experts on my talk show to find out, does life continue after we die? And can we communicate with those that have crossed over? With each expert I spoke to, they all had different ideas. Is there knowledge from the past which could be shared with the present moment? So I thought, why not just speak to the non-physical world directly through channelers around the world? And that's what I set out to do. They call us channelers will take the viewers on a journey into the phenomena known as channeling. And my main goal with this docu-series is to bring a new understanding and awareness to channeling by looking within ourselves and asking, is it truly possible that we can all use this innate ability? For 44 years, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in California has pushed the frontier for a deeper understanding of how consciousness interacts with our world, harnessing that power to help humanity and the planet thrive. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS embodies the adventure of spirit. Today they are the largest multidisciplinary team working on some of the most profound questions involving consciousness. They are boldly pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human, marrying rigorous scientific exploration and intergenerational programs with noetic inner awareness. One area of exploration at the Noetics Institute is the study of the channeling phenomena and I sat down with Noetic scientist Helene Wolbey to discuss her study of the channeling phenomena. Glad to be here with you today. So what does the IONS do? If you could summarize what the IONS is. IONS stands for the Institute of Noetic Sciences and IONS was founded by an astronaut, Edgar Mitchell, actually in 1973. So he walked on the moon and as he was coming home in his space shuttle, he had this amazing samadhi oneness experience as he viewed the earth and felt interconnected with everything around him and came back and decided to set up a scientific institute to actually study what that was all about and in a scientific way. Wow. So here we are 45 years later um, embarking on scientific research of the noetic or interconnectedness. And with your background then, uh, what was your background in all this field? How did you get into this field? Sure. My, um, I'm actually clinically trained, so I'm a naturopathic physician and had a private practice in mind-body medicine and got called back to get into research. And so I um, had a postdoctoral fellowship at Oregon Health and Science University looking at complementary and alternative medicine, specifically mindfulness meditation, and received funding from the National Institutes of Health to do a large study with combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder and mindfulness meditation to see if it could help their symptoms. So after 
10 or so years in an academic uh, institution, I started asking questions that weren't really okay to be studied in that um, venue and learned about the Institute of Noetic Sciences and was invited to come to a Future of Meditation meeting where expert meditation researchers were brought to talk about these questions that weren't being asked. And through synchronistic events, ended up being um, a scientist on the team and um, more recently promoted to the Director of Research and Evaluation. I'm very interested in looking at the scientific side of this work as well. So the scientific side is really important to me and that's where this kind of side that you come more from. So what is channeling to you? If I was to say the word channeling, what does that mean from the scientific point of view? So channeling means a lot of things to different people and we have used a definition here for our research. Um, we're defining it as accessing information and energy from beyond time and space. More specifically, being able to receive information from beyond our traditional five senses. And that exists on a spectrum from intuition on one side that most people would say they've experienced, like a, a hunch or gut feelings that something is true or not, to the other extreme, which you're interested in, is what people might call full trance channeling, where the channeler believes that they are acting as a vehicle for a disincarnate being to communicate through them. And that's a big spectrum and people experience channeling anywhere in between that. Um, we believe that all humans have the potential to channel and yet their unique characteristics of what that channeling looks like is quite different. And so we invite people to check into what their noetic signature is, what their channeling signature is and how it manifests for them. And by coming to yourself, how do they check that out? How, how do you how do you study scientifically the phenomena of channeling? So a couple years ago, I started the IONS Channeling Research Program. And the goal of that program was to evaluate six important research questions about channeling. The first is, what do we already know? There have been studies that have already been done. So what have we learned from those? Also, um, how common is channeling? And what are its characteristics of people who experience it? How does channeling work? Are there mechanisms that we can evaluate to see what's going on when someone is channeling? What makes a channel a channel? I talked about the spectrum before, and certain people do full trance channeling. Is there something that's unique about them that allows them to do that? Um, can we verify the content that's actually coming through? Are there ways for us to do that? And then also, is the content useful? Can we actually apply what we're learning from this channeled information in our world to support us on our planet. So those are the six research questions that you've been working on and we've done studies in each one of those questions um, to gain knowledge about channeling. Now when do the results come out? There have been results that have come out. Um, so for example, on what do we already know? We know that channeling is not a psychopathology that people who experience channeling, who have um, participated in our surveys, do not have a clinical level of pathology. So some people who hear about channelers who are channeling some 
being or deceased human might say, oh, they're just crazy. They have a mental health illness. But studies that um, previous researchers have done and us as well have shown that there's no increased pathology and dissociation or psychotic symptoms and that they live pretty well functional lives. We've also um, just published a paper on how common it is and there are studies around the world that have shown that channeling experiences are somewhere between, on average, about 40 and 50% of the population experiences them. And that's quite, quite variable in terms of the types of experiences those are. We just finished a study and um, it's just got uh, <clears throat> published in Explore. And we looked at three groups. We looked at um, a randomized sample of people from the general population, from scientists and engineers, and from people who are on the IONS listserv, who we imagined were be, going to be pretty enthusiastic about these experiences. And we hypothesized that the scientists and engineers would actually have a lower prevalence or common experience of these channeling um, experiences, but we found that it was actually the same as the general population at about 93% of the people that we surveyed had at least one of the 25 channeling experiences that we asked about, which was incredible to me. So we looked back at the data and we said, could any of these 25 be misconstrued as just kind of a normal experience rather than a channeling experience? And we took those five, there were five of them that we found, oh, maybe, you know, they thought it was just normal empathy or something like that. So we took those out and then it was still as high as um, over 80% in the general population and scientists and engineers. So that makes us wonder, and we want to do some follow-up studies on this, is why there is not more research done on this. So if these scientists and engineers and people in the science fields have had these experiences, why is there not more research evaluating it and such taboos and bias in academia around these topics? And one point you mentioned there as well, which is, is the information um, of use as well? Does it, does it benefit the person? What was the sort of feedback from that as well? I mean, has that been published yet? No, that um, topic we're still, we're still looking at. And um, we did a focus group with five full trance channels in Mount Shasta, California, and have looked at the, did a qualitative research of the content that came through to be able, if we could apply it in any practical way. One thing they talked about was what makes a channel a channel. So there are a few factors around that. One was willingness. One was their energetic frequency of the channeler, which is in some part determined by their genetics. And then the library of their mind or their education and their vocabulary that they have in the mind that the being purported being supposedly communicates through. So that piece about frequency, which is determined by genetics, we can actually study that. So we're doing a study right now where we've collected saliva samples from 14 high-functioning psychics and 10 controls that are matched on age and gender and race, and we're doing genetic analysis on that to see if um, there is something unique about those people. Um, and there's also been two other small studies looking at the genetics of um, channeling abilities. It's anecdotally known that it runs in families, and yet there haven't been that many studies done on it. 
So that talks a little bit about what makes a channel a channel, but also verifying the content. So these purported channeled beings are saying there's something about the genetics that determines your channeling characteristics and how it is expressed in you, and we can actually be able to validate that. We're hoping to have that done by the end of this year. Have you ever come across the phenomenon of one channel speaking to another channel when they're both channeling to each other, and what information comes through in that perspective? So during the Mount Shasta focus groups, we had multiple types of channeling. So we had one channel channeling one purported being. We had multiple channels channeling at the same time different beings. And we also had something that we called sequential channeling. So one purported being was in one channeler and said, okay, now I'm going to move over there to that channeler and then moved and then started communicating from that channel and then moved again three times. There was a shift and then the conversation would continue, which was quite fascinating. I think one of the most fascinating things about that study that we did is we had random number generators um, in the corner of the room and we compared the data of when we were channeling and sitting in the living room when we were not channeling and still sitting in the same exact places it was controlled for temperature and multiple different pieces and we did a quite conservative analysis of those two um, conditions and found that there was a significant difference from the channeling to the no channeling. So what does that mean exactly? It means that there was an objective measure that was able to sense a difference in the environment when people were channeling and not channeling. So to me this is quite exciting because many sensitives can viscerally feel a change in the room when people are channeling. So to have an objective measure corroborate that I think is really exciting and it shows us that this is something we can use again in other studies and hopefully we're, we're hoping to develop another tool to be able to objectively me measure these changes in energy or frequency. There's, these are the terms that people often use when they're um, sensing that. You know one thing I found in my journey as well was it's not just about the progression of the human beings they're interested in. Our progression is their progression. Their progression is our progression. We always think we're looking up to them as like that, but they're looking down to us like that as well in a, in a perspective. Um, have, you, have you looked at that perspective at all about that? You know, what we think this is, even up to you know, today, it actually may be something quite different in the sense of, um, in the sense of what though? In the sense of what we currently understand it to be. We, we currently use this as, as, as they come here to help us, but what if we're really helping them? There was a great deal of information that was shared at Mount Shasta and I did an analysis of the content and there were many common themes that came up. And one of them was about the awakening of humanity and various methods by which humans could do that. And awakening to what, you might ask. So awakening to their um, perceived reality that we are not just our bodies. We go beyond that. Consciousness expands beyond that. And so you might perceive that as them offering advice for how humans can change or shift. But what was also stated is as humanity on earth changes and shifts, then that influences um, the other communities in the universe. And so that content is also being published. Um, it was approved for publication and will be out in the next couple months.
That's interesting. Did anything come through on the multidimensional reality? Um, most definitely. Talking a lot about um, where Earth was, where its dimensional state was, and that we cannot see these purported beings because they are in a different dimension. Um, and many different aspects around that about how they live and how they communicate and are able to do that in these different dimensions. Did it talk about at all um, that we're constantly shifting between parallel dimensions, potentially? There was no information about that, no. Is that due to maybe not asking the question? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. We do didn't ask that specifically. No. Do you, do you find with, with, the, with the information that comes through that they'll only ever give information that's first of all asked for and second of all that you're ready to hear? Um, that last piece has come through that um, somewhat related to this it was really fascinating because we did ask why are so many different channels channeling Mother Mary or so many different channels channeling Archangel Michael like is that why would that happen and they basically said that you know Archangel Michael has a specific frequency the channeler has their own specific frequency the message has its own frequency and the audience has its own frequency and those different combinations um, allow for the receiver to be able to receive what they need to in that moment and so someone who is not perhaps ready to hear it won't hear it only if they're aligned to all that the different combinations of that frequency would they hear it that's what was communicated at Mount Shasta as well yeah but it's almost like isn't it that if if Mother Mary was coming through Janet and um, I didn't resonate with Janet or all that message if I went to Ted and he's bringing through Mother Mary, I'm more aligned with him. Why am I more aligned with that message? Is it because I'm from the same soul group as, as, as that person rather than Janet? Do we, do we align with someone in our soul group who's bringing that information through? Is there something deeper than just saying, well, there's different people bringing it through, but actually there's, something, there's more than that. We, you know, we, we flock to that which we're aligned with. It's like a building with different office floors. You know, if you're all in the same office floor, you want to raise your vibration, you're going to go to the next office floor. But if you're not at that vibration, then you've got to meet someone in the same office floor that you can talk to rather than the floor above. Right. That's how I understood the information. There wasn't anything said specifically about soul group, but there was a lot said about frequency and aligning frequency and energy. And that's why I'm so excited for us to be able to develop something to be able to measure that. Because sensitives can say, oh, I can sense your energy and it's different than your energy in this way. So how can we build a device that anyone could use that could actually be like a sensitive and measure a specific you know, perhaps it's not a physical measure, it's some measure that we don't know exists yet, but I'd, I'd like to be able to develop that through our science. So some sort of apparatus you'd like to develop that would actually be able to detect or to, to at least record variations that would equal that maybe this person or he, she is actually receiving or is open to being a channel. Or is resonating in a, at a specific frequency that we don't know how to measure right now, whatever that frequency is. But you do do um, brain measurements as well as part of some of your tests as well? Yeah, we're doing a study right now that we're almost completed with looking at specifically channelers who um, act as a vehicle for a purported being to, to speak through 
and we are looking at brain waves, so EEG, EKG, the function of the heart, um, skin changes, temperature, and we are having them channel for five minutes and then not channel for five minutes and then repeating that three times. So they're basically going in and out of the channeling. And we're gonna um, look at the data, looking at the channeling periods versus the non-channeling periods to see if there's any differences between them. Uh, we are also looking at voice analysis because we have the channeler read a story at the beginning when they're not channeling and then at the end when they are channeling to see if there's changes in the voice. Um, and then at the end, during the channeling periods, during the lab, they're actually quiet and they aren't speaking and they're very still. And we had many channelers say, that's really challenging for me because when I'm channeling, I'm always speaking. And so we basically asked them to m go into a state of incorporation, but without speaking. And so that was fascinating. So at the end, we... S we say, okay, now you can give a message if you'd like to, and so we've recorded that too, so we can analyze that data. That's so cool. What, what a great job you've got. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally cutting edge. Um, and, and how do you perceive the difference when someone's giving uh, maybe a, um, a, a reading to someone as a departed loved one compared to, and you may call that person a psychic or a medium, compared to someone that says they're channeling and I will channel a message from my group which is maybe in contact maybe with someone that's departed or... I think it is about going back to this unique characteristics of your channeling signature. So some people might call themselves mental mediums where they believe they're in contact with a deceased human that human is speaking to them and then they're relaying a message. To me, that's a type of channeling. It just looks different from what many people call full trance channel where they've described themselves as stepping aside, their personality stepping aside and the purported discarnate being actually comes into their body in some way and uses their vocal cords, their mind to communicate directly. So it's not a translation, it's a direct communication. So they're just different aspects of channeling. Have you ever experimented with channeling? Personally? Yes. I'm not what you would call full trans channel, so you know, I don't have a purported being communicating through me, but I feel that I do have access to information and energy from beyond time and space that I can tune into when I'm making decisions. Um, I get visceral responses on paths to take that might be more aligned or have a positive outcome. It's just one example. And how does it work for you? Um, I would be what you call a clairsentient. So I feel in my body truth and I also am claircognizant because I just receive packets of information, if you will, that um, I can then communicate to someone and see if it resonates with them or not. That's why you're doing this study. I do have a personal interest in it as well, for sure. Have you noticed that there's more channelers nowadays or are you just aware of the channeling phenomena? Do you think that's why you notice the channelers there now? I'm really interested in this question and one study that I'd like to do is to be able to track the studies that have been done over time to see if the 
prevalence changes. There was one study done in Iceland where they repeated it and it was actually a higher prevalence um, in the you know more recent study. So that's one piece that shows you yes it is actually increasing. Is that because like you said we're aware of it more and communication is such that we can connect with people around the world and have easier way to share about it? Um, I don't know actually. I don't know if it's more common or if we're just more aware of it. Um, I do know that one of the pieces that was shared at Mount Shasta is that the reason it is perceived as happening more is that more and more people are ready to um, experience not just being in a materialistic paradigm but that our consciousness does expand beyond our body and that the you know our true nature of reality is beyond the materialistic what is it what does channeling really tell us it tells us that we are consciousness having a human experience but even consciousness is a human word for it we don't know what the I am is what what's behind my and yours eyes right now that's that's this creates this awareness I mean I just I just for me it, it just how can it just be the brain that I'm just became aware because I mean the, the, the flesh has created that awareness I've always had that deep down knowing that it was so much more but I don't know where that knowing comes from right I agree and I think that's m most seekers um, confusion or you know like I have this direct experience of being more than my body more than my brain but how do we prove that we don't know how to prove that right now I'm not saying we can't or even that we need a proof but that having that direct experience um, gives people the context that they need but your study is really to show that we can all channel that we channel all the time am I right there so our overall research program and one of the overall goals of IONS is to allow people to directly experience what we might call channeling or the noetic and to more deeply understand how that works for them. And does that knowing, that noetic, is that where people say, you know what, Kev, I just trust my gut experience, I just trust my gut, my, my gut voice, and it's, I've always listened to the voice within, they may say, that, however they may say it, and it's never let me down. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what's tricky around that is that many people react to the word channeling. And so if you say to them, oh, that's channeling, then that doesn't feel comfortable to them. So a lot of it's about languaging and how you language it um, in terms of allowing people to feel comfortable with that, not that it's a taboo or there's some sort of bias around it. So could, when someone says to me, you know what, Kev, I trust my gut feeling, is that allowing the part of your soul, the greater part of your soul to come in and be channeled in? I would personally say probably as a scientist, I have no way to prove that right now, but I would conjecture personally, I would say yes. So I think that when people have that gut feeling or that intuition or that sense, oh, I should take the left road instead of the right road, that that's on the spectrum of channeling. It's on this very common experience of channeling. So therefore, we are channeling all the time, every moment of our existence. But it depends sometimes how much of our higher self do we want to bring through? I would say not that we're channeling all the time, but that we have access to be able to channel all the time if we are willing to go there. 
what does a life look like that's accessing the, uh, this idea of channeling compared to someone who's maybe not embracing that all the time? I don't have any scientific studies that can demonstrate what a person's life is right now. I personally say that when I practice channeling, my life is much more smooth. I can also tell you that we've launched a research program called the IONS Discovery Lab that collects measures before and after people do workshops at our retreat center. And the specific components we're looking at is how interconnected people feel, how able they are to access information and energy from beyond time and space, which is a channeling piece, and if that makes them better people, if they have increased well-being, happiness, um, decreases in pain and physical symptoms. So give me about another year or two and I'll be able to answer that because we'll be able to see if there's a relationship with um, improvements in their well-being compared to how much they're channeling. What about channelers who seem to appear younger than they should do for their age and they say to you, well, I've just been channeling all my life, I've been in that, that energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that particularly. I've also heard anecdotally that some channelers say it takes a huge toll on them physically and that they um, feel more health issues from the channeling, especially trans channelers who completely leave their body. Yes, I know of one in the UK, uh, Channels Joseph, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he says it takes a real toll on him. But have you noticed that there's less and less trans channelers and nowadays it's more about being consciously involved in the teachings yourself, it's conscious channeling, just letting yourself go back in the driver's seat. If there was a car analogy, if you were driving a car and you were kind of like um, in the back seat, it's kind of like that. You're not totally unaware of what's going on. Yes, that's true. And that's been um, channeled information as well, that there's not as much of a need for the full trans channeler like um, John of God, who like completely is gone and feels like he's asleep. Um, most of the channels that I'm in contact with now, like you said, they're in the back seat, they just step aside. So it's a different experience. How do you as a scientist, when you're getting the participants in for this, any research when it comes to channeling, use discernment? So we have a very long survey that collects a great deal of information about them. Um, one thing that we are assessing around channeling, which I think is really important because you can tell we're playing with these words, full trans, channeler, what does it all mean? So I'm operationalizing these two spectrums again. Consciousness, so you have on one side someone being completely aware and conscious when they're channeling, and on the other side someone who's completely gone, like I mentioned John of God. And then on the other spectrum you have incorporation, so on one end you have the purported being totally in them and moving around and moving their arms all over the place and on the other end no incorporation so that would be like mental mediumship so instead of all these different words that mean different things to different people we can characterize channeling on these two spectrums how aware are you how conscious are you doing the experience and how much incorporation is there and that you know it's going to be quite varied because people have different levels on each of those and so we ask the volunteers where they're at on those levels and then we want to choose people who are in the higher incorporation scale because we really want to be able to see if there's a physiological response um, and then we do uh, 
uh, in-person interviews and we ask for a video to be able to see them go in and out of their channeling state. Yes, because um, this field, like any field, attracts people that aren't genuine. Correct. And who are unstable. Very unstable and they've, they've lied to themselves that they're doing this and they're doing it for the money, some of them. Some. Thankfully I haven't run into that, which I'm happy about, but, um, but yeah, I, I know, I imagine that exists out there. What's the most important message of your work? Hmm. That we are more than what we think we are and to delve into the joy of that exploration for each person. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Guru Brahma